0: Welcome to Preston, Minster. Find your home, find your purpose, transform your city. Let's jump into this week's talk. Good stuff. stuff. Well, hopefully you've met somebody you've not met before. We're building community one chat at a time. Hopefully, yeah, hoping nobody's picked anybody else up. Um, Good stuff. So we are continuing today in our sermon series, Journeying Through the Book, a little letter actually called Philippians. But I will give you a little update on my weekend because it wasn't super great. I I think I got food poisoning. Oh, feeling feeling the sympathy there. I uh, and it was it's just a funny story. I felt like I just needed to share it with you guys because it was such a British kind of interaction with 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 food poisoning. Okay? So let me take you through take you through it on on various levels. First of all, I was in Fleetwood and I love Fleetwood. Fleetwood is one of my favorite places on earth. Like some people like don't like it, they diss it, but let me tell you now, Fleetwood is where it is at. And I know you can get good sausage and egg sandwiches in Fleetwood I know that for sure but I thought I want to try a new place so I went to a place I'm not going to get I really was like should I give the name of it but I'm not that'd be that'd be that'd be like using the pulpit in a in a way that is displeasing to the Lord so I'm not going to name the place and I'm in two minds as to whether I should give a negative feedback on Google reviews you can tell me what you think afterwards Um, but the second I walked into that place I was like oh this something's not quite right here it just didn't feel right. And first of all, it was cash only. So uh, that, that was an exit, an, an exit for me. I could have actually said, oh, I've not got any cash, I can leave, sorry. Da, 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 da. But I'd already placed the order. The sausage and egg sandwich was, was locked in. It had been placed. The, the person behind the till looked like there'd not been a few customers for a while, I understand why now, but they looked quite excited about the prospect of, of, of a sausage and egg sandwich uh, being given to a customer, so I thought I can't really let them down, So. Uh, I said, I'll be back in a minute, I'll just go and get some cash out of the cash machine, which I hate doing, I hate carrying cash nowadays. It feels like such an inconvenience when it's cash only. You might be like the other way around and hate it when it's card only, so um, we can chat about that afterwards as well. But I go, I get cash, which I hate doing, I come back and I'm like, why am I doing this? I just don't think this is gonna be great. And as soon as I handed over the cash, it just went downhill from there, there was just very little hygiene in place. Do you know when you're in a place, it's like, there's no hygiene here. So the cash was handled into the till, but then it was like, I could see the kitchen and I could definitely hear the microwave. And that's all it was, the kitchen. Sausage and egg sandwich prepared via the microwave, which which I, I don't like microwaves anyway. Just like full stop. I don't trust them. How you can cook something that quickly, I have no idea. It's not natural. Don't use them. Um... So it was a microwave. But then I'd paid the three pounds. I, uh, I got the sausage and egg sandwich prepared in the microwave. And it looked pink, you know, like those really cheap Tesco sausages that look pink even when they're cooked or uncooked. There's no difference between them. Sometimes you get those Richmond sausages well. They're exactly the same. Very, very cheap. Don't have them. Terrible. And, but I thought, but I just could not bring myself to not eat the sandwich. Does that make sense? I couldn't not eat it. I just, I just exchanged three pounds with the, with the cashier for this sandwich. I thought, I can't not eat it. I've just paid three pounds for it, even though I know it's not good. And then the next day, it was just like my body was saying, like, get this out of me. It was just not good. That was my weekend. Do you know, sometimes it has a little segue into the talk, but that didn't. That was just me telling you about my weekend. Sometimes there's like a tenuous link where it's like, and that kind of reminds me of this thing. It's not like that. I just wanted to tell you because that's how my weekend really was. Um, I hope your weekend was a lot better and it didn't involve any food poisoning. And I hope I've learned my lesson for next time, but probably not. Um, can the fathers please stand? That'd be great. If you're a father, I'd love you just to stand. We just want to honor you. Try to give them a round of applause. It's Father's Day. <laughs> keep standing, keep standing. Shout out to all the dads, shout out to all the dads. Um, we don't like massively celebrate Father's Day in my, in my house or anything like that, but I just want to really honour uh, fathers today. I think it's really an undervalued role, like a significantly undervalued role uh, in our society. The role of a father, your roles, fathers, it's, it's a big role. It's a high calling that you have upon yourself. Yes, yeah, stand up, Alan. Stand, if you're a father, you stay standing. Stay standing. And uh, it is a high calling. Uh, Laura shared that statistic about care leavers in prison. Uh, if, if you to see the statistics of young men who are in both the care system and in prison who have no father, it, it'd blow your mind. It's off the chart. The role of a father is incredibly significant in, in a child's life. So I just want to honor you guys today. And I also I want to take the opportunity just to give you a little charge not like I'm not bringing charges against you. like Not like that kind of charge. You know, sometimes like when you get ordained, the bishop does a charge or something like that. I was at an event the, this week and they, someone did a charge. And in the Church of England, that usually means you're encouraged to like recycle and be a nice person or something like that. This hopefully will be a bit more of a stronger charge to you. I want to charge you men, you fathers, to love your children well to love your children well, to not underplay the role that you have, whether your kids are grown up or they're still small, you have a significant role to play in their lives. Love your kids well. Do you know one of the key roles of a father is to speak truth, to speak truth over your your children. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended and the voice of the father was heard. And what did the father say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You are called to be speakers of truth to your children. So I wanna charge you today, encourage you, exhort you to be a speaker of truth. You can take a seat now. I want to talk to you today about, about unity, unity, the power of unity, if I can put it like that. I was going to sort of say, actually, in that, in that little charge, just at the end, I think there's a lot of disunity between men and women. And our society doesn't necessarily help or, or encourage that very much. There's a lot of disunity between men and women. And uh, the body of Christ is a body which is united under the lordship of Christ, We are one under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we are united. And the power of unity is what we're going to be thinking about today as we continue our series. So backdrop, this is a letter, we're going to read it in a minute. It's a real life letter. It was sent by a guy called Paul to an actual church in a place called Philippi. And he wrote a number of things to them. And over the next several weeks, we are journeying through this letter, just taking chunk by chunk. By chunk, and just allowing the Word of God to, to speak to our hearts. That, that's my job now. My job's kind of to get out of the way and allow this passage to, to speak to your hearts. And it, this is a two way process. Preaching isn't just some guy stood at the front telling you what to do, it's about listening, us, us listening to the Word of God, submitting ourselves to the Word of God. So, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray that God really speaks to us powerfully through this passage as we look to his word today. So, Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it's living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray you would speak to us powerfully. We pray that you would prepare our hearts, open our hearts. Help us to not be distracted or unfocused or let our minds wander, but help us to focus on your word today, Jesus, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Brill, so we're just going to jump into this passage. It's Philippians 1, verse 27. I'm going to read it in little chunks and we're going to unpack it. So this is verse 27. Whatever happens, says Paul, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I just want to pick up on that phrase there at the end. Um, Standing together in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That, that's, what, that's what we're called to do as church. If you're part of it, if you're part of the church, that's what you're called to do, to strive together. Not as separate entities, but as one. Have you ever seen like a sports match where the members of the t- same team get into a, a fight with one another? It often it gets picked up in the media, doesn't it? Because it's such a kind of obviously ugly aspect of any sports team if there's Disunity. Like the media pounces on it because something's not quite right if members of the same team are fighting with each other. You've seen that before, right? Yeah, you've seen it. Good. Um, And it's just one of those things you see and you're like, oh, that's interesting. But also that's not right. And that's kind of how it is with the body of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. So when you see Christians like fighting with each other in an ugly way, something's not quite right. We are to stand together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Paul gives the Philippians this command. He says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And in essence, he says, be united, be united. Stand firm in one spirit and strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. Un- Unity is all about oneness. The key word here is one, and it can literally be translated like striving at the same time. Striving at the same time. I don't know if you've ever seen the three-legged race. You have, probably. It's, and it's like sports day season, right, isn't it? So it's, it's time for the three-legged race. Has everybody seen the three-legged race? Yes, Sam. You can put a hand up, actually. Has everybody seen the three-legged race? Yes. You've all seen it. When, like, two people get together and they, like, tie their middle. I was, I was, I was so tempted to, like, try and... Recreate it, but then I was like, "Who would I do it with?" And then it would take ages. To, anyway, I thought about the logistics. You just have to imagine it in your head. That race where you kind of you lock legs with another person and you try to strive together as one to get to the finish line faster than anybody else. It's kind of like Paul is saying that: strive together as one. If you were to think of it in the context of the church, you'd see many legs tied together. Strive together as one. He goes on in chapter two. He says, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. He really wants to labor this point. Be united In Christ, be as one, strive together as one. You know, repetition enforces meaning. And Paul, several times in a short space of time, and consistently in this letter, he he says, Be united, be like minded, be of one mind and one spirit. And I love this because he's also talking about being one with a purpose if that makes sense it's not just unity unity isn't the end goal unity of purpose is the end goal it's about vision the vision is Jesus and it's as we stand together as one person proclaiming the name of Jesus then we will be united unity is not the end goal reaching people with the good news of Jesus is the end goal that's the objective, not just some kind of arbitrary institutional unity that, is, that kind of means very little. If you see a church or you catch us as a church or any other church inwardly fighting, then that is a church that's lost sight of its vision to reach people with the gospel. Because that's what, what happens. We take our eye off the ball. We forget why we're here. We forget that we're all about reaching people for Jesus. Then we lose sight of our vision. An outward church is a focused church. An outward facing church is a church focused on its vision. And united, standing as one. There's something called the ecumenical movement, which is like a good movement to help Christians of different churches connect together. And it had really good and has really good instincts and intentions. But the problem with it is, is that institutional unity is not the goal or the objective. The purpose isn't clarified. The goal is for us to reach out with the good news of Jesus. And as we do that, we will be united. That's how it works. You see, the thing is, when we all get together and we start to talk about our differences, the only thing we're aware of is the fact that we're all different and divided. But you know, when we get into the trenches alongside Christians from Crossgate and Freedom Center and, the, and St. George's and other churches from across the city and we work together to lift high the name of Jesus, guess what? Unity will come and our divisions won't seem that big anymore. Disunity and infighting comes when perhaps we believe that the church is there to serve us rather than us serving the church. That's when disunity creeps in. So let me ask you, if you consider yourself a member of this church, part of this church family another, or another church family, How are you doing with unity? Do you see yourself as a bit of a lone ranger? Or do you see yourself standing as one contending for the gospel? Do you see yourself as part of this or another church family? What's your view of church? How do you come to church each Sunday? Is the church here to serve you? Or are you here to serve the church? They're interesting questions to reflect on. So unity. Paul is saying, be of one mind, have unity. And then what we see next is a key to unity, something that unlocks unity, and it's humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself more highly or more lowly than you ought, but just thinking about yourself like as, as you are, as you rightly are. And Paul says in Verse one of chapter two, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. And then in verse three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You never want to read the Bible quickly, and as as I'm reading it this morning, it's powerful. To pause and let these words sink in. Because the Bible, I've said it before, but it puts up a mirror in front of our faces, doesn't it? It shows us what we're really like. Do nothing. I hope that's on the screen. It's not. Can we get that on the screen? Chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you find that convicting? Do you find that compelling? Can you say, yes, that's me? Because I don't know if I can. Humility. I think Paul talks about this because it's the key to unity. You see the logic. He says, be united. How? Well, be humble. Be humble. It's the key. So what's the enemy of humility? Let me jump to that. What's the enemy of humility? Well, it's pride, isn't it? Like pride is when we puff ourselves up and we think that we're awesome and everybody else is not. Pride comes in various guises, various forms. Pride is the sin that is most likely to kill your faith in Jesus, your faith in humanity. And pride is, is a toxic thing in all of our lives. Pride is the sin that stops you putting your hand up and saying, I need help. Pride is the enemy of humility. There's a guy called John Piper, and I'll read these really, really quickly. But he did an article a little while ago that I found really useful. Because you know what, pride sometimes it sounds a bit nebulous. Like, oh yeah, pride. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm proud. It's probably the first. The sign that you are proud is not thinking that you're proud. Um, And just seven subtle ways in which pride manifests itself in our lives. I'm going to read this. And as I read it, you're going to understand and probably see yourself in some of these different ways pride manifests itself. First of all, fault finding. I don't mean like, you know, when you're working on on a car and you're trying to find the fault. That's quite good. But fault finding in other people. See, pride prevents us from seeing God's goodness in others. When I'm proud, I don't see the good in others. I just see the bad. Secondly, pride brings about a harsh spirit. Those who have the sickness of pride in their hearts speak about others' sins with contempt, irritation, frustration, or judgment, but fail to see their own shortcomings. Thirdly, superficiality. When pride lives in our hearts, we're far more concerned with how other people perceive us rather than the true state of our hearts. Does that make sense? When pride lives in our hearts, we're worried about how we look, how we're perceived. And we live on this shallow level, not really showing people what our hearts are really like. That's a form, a subtle form of pride. Fourthly, defensiveness. Those who are humble find defence in Jesus. But when we're exercising or living out of pride, we can be knocked off course by people challenging us, giving us feedback that we don't like, and we can be defensive. And then finally, presumption. No, not finally, nearly finally. Presumption before God. And I'm going to read this because I read this and it just, it really spoke to me about how pride can be toxic in our lives. Humility, this is about presumption before God. Humility approaches God with humble assurance in Christ Jesus. If either the humble or the assurance are missing in that equation, our hearts very well might be infected with pride. Some of, I found this challenging. Some of us have no shortage of boldness before God. But if we're not careful, we can forget that he is God. Others of us feel no confidence before God, which at first sounds like humility, but in reality is another symptom of pride. In those moments, we're testifying that we believe that our sins are greater than his grace. We doubt the power of Christ's blood and we're stuck staring at ourselves instead of Christ. Do you get that equation and how important it is? We approach God with humble confidence. They've both got to be there. And then number six, the sixth way pride can manifest itself is desperation for attention. Pride is hungry for attention and respect and worship in all its forms. And then finally, number seven, neglecting others. Pride prefers some people over others. It honors those who the world elevates and it downplays those the world doesn't. So pride is the enemy of humility? Did you see yourself in some of that list? Did you see pride manifest itself in some of, those, some of those ways in your life? Because I certainly did in mine. We don't want to do anything out of, as it says in the passage, vain conceit or selfish ambition. So what's the key? Verse 5, it says, in your relationships. So there's Jesus, fully God in nature. That's the reality of who Jesus is. He is God, but he didn't use that to his own advantage. He made himself nothing. He was born like you and me. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. So if we want a church that is, yes, united with that purpose to make this Jesus known. We need to follow the example of Jesus. That is counter-cultural. Our culture tells us that we need to sort of climb the ladder, strive to get ahead, hustle your way to the top, you're number one, find the truth within yourself, all of those messages. But the truth is that as we humble ourselves, under Christ as we seek to make him know then we will be united as a church and we will see many come to know Jesus but it often is a painful process sometimes it starts with us looking in the mirror looking at our hearts and asking God to minister to us to remove pride and to bring true humility should we stand together love for us to just respond thanks for listening follow us on social media see you next week